Welcome everyone. You're listening to Save Me an Isle Seat, the show that talks about musicals in I didn't write it down. An understandable and relatable <laughs> in way. An under- <laughs> in an understandable and relatable way. I almost said fun and relatable way, and I was like, that's not it. I mean it is fun. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, that's not my intro. <laughs> I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hello. Yo. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Hello. <laughs> and you're fired. Every time with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're fired. <laughs> it has begun. <laughs> Man, that was early. <laughs> super early. Okay, so this week we are bringing you the wonderful show called Spamalot. Yes. This, this uh, is one of my favorite shows, and I'm... I don't know why I waited so long to do this one, but so my background with the show is I did see it at The Fox, which is here in St. Louis, Missouri. This was years ago. I probably technically shouldn't have seen it because there's a lot of adult jokes in the show. I think I was in middle school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's Monty Python humor. It, so. it is. Yeah. I, yeah, I should have... Uh, known going in. Were you just, like, confused the whole time? Because a lot of Monty Python humor, like, can kind of go over people's heads. No, because I'd been introduced to the humor before. Yeah. Like, I'd seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which Spamalot is loosely based on, but still, like, there's these French taunters in the show, and they are very, very lewd. Mm. Yeah. I was not prepared for uh, my <laughs> childhood eyes. <laughs> so... Knowing that this show gets, like, a vague mama warning, my mom has seen this. She loves... I, loves is probably a strong word. She <laughs> enjoys this one. She thinks it's funny and stupid. She doesn't particularly like this variation of stupid humor, but she seems to get a kick out of a lot of the songs. So this one's a rough mama warning because knowing... You have to know that some of the humor is not meant for children. <laughs> but it's not heavy-handed and there's... You know, it's it's not... Listening to the music, I don't think there's really anything particular to be worried about. No. Seeing the show is a little different. So, take that with a grain of salt. Let us jump into the background of the show. So, Eric Idle, he wrote the book, the lyrics, and he co-wrote the music. And he actually is a former member of the British comedy group called Monty Python, which the show is based on... Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like I mentioned, which is a older movie that did feature the Monty Python crew, the troupe at the time. And he decided to take it and other skits that they have done and put it all on a musical stage. And he says the title of the show comes from the line, Weed, Ham, and Jam, and Spam a Lot, which is in a song later in the show. Now, the reactions to the show were weird. (laughs) They were semi-mixed. Um, mostly just from Idol's former colleagues in the Monty Python troupe. The majority of them thought it was an overall dumb idea, and it was considered lazy comedy writing because it was rehashing old skits and turning them into a musical, which is kind of like why Monty Python was born in the first place, was to create brand new, fresh humor. But then Eric Idle turned around and turned it into a rehashing of whatever. But, (laughs) however, those that did see the show thought it was clever and an overall fun time while still maintaining that it wasn't something that should have been made. So, (laughs) support it. They're like, they're like, it's it's dumb, but it's fun at the same time. I don't like it, but I kind of do. 
very odd there, but it's it's just pointless fun. And uh, some of them even pointed out that they really liked the the new parts of it. They didn't particularly like the old parts of it. So the parts that Eric Idle wrote himself. And Eric Idle had this to say about them kind of shitting all over his show. Is, I'm making them money and the ungrateful bastards never thank me. <laughs> Who gave them a million dollars each for Spamalot? <laughs> Damn. That's a good been, chunk of chain. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and that's that's just him throwing out a money amount that's not actually the amount they yeah. all made. <laughs> so financially, this show was a critical success. It reported $18 million in advance huh. ticket sales, with ticket prices ranging from $36 to $179. And the advance ticket sales made Broadway box office history. So they just did really well even before it even opened. And in the West End, when it eventually got there, it also had a high advanced ticket sales, and it was even extended by four weeks. And this was before the show even opened, four months before the show even opened. So they didn't even know how it was going to do, but the advanced ticket sales spoke for themselves. In terms of productions, so in the beginning, the previews began in Chicago's Schubert Theater, which is now called the CIBC Theater, and this started on December 21st, 2004. So this one's a a slightly older show. The show officially opened there on January 9th, 2005, and two musical numbers were actually dropped from Act 1 while the production was still in Chicago. It did go off to Broadway, and it was previewed at New York's Schubert Theater on February 14th, 2005, where it officially opened on March 17th. It was nominated for 14 Tony Awards, and it won Best Musical. It played its last show on January 11th, 2009, where it had 35 previews and 1,575 performances. Woo! It was seen by more than 2 million people, and it grossed over $175 million, which recuperated its initial production costs in under six months. Wow. Which is phenomenal. That's gotta be a good feeling. Oh my gosh, yeah. The original Broadway cast featured some pretty big names, So it had Tim Curry as King Arthur, Michael McGrath as Patsy, David Hyde Pierce as Sir Robin, Sarah Ramirez as the Lady of the Lake, Hank Azaria as Sir Lancelot in other roles, including the French Taunter, Knight of Knee, and Tim the Enchanter, Christopher Sieber as Sir Galahad in other roles, the Black Knight and Prince Herbert's father, Christian Borrell as Prince Herbert in other roles, the Historian and Not Dead Fred, Steve Rosen and Sir Bedivere in other roles, Concord and Dennis's mother, and then John Cleese as the recorded voice of God. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing cast. It is pr- fantastic. <laughs> and they actually had to like beg John Cleese to do the voice of God, but he he did say it was kind of fun to do. <laughs> uh, this is also the recording that is featured on our Spotify, which will of course be linked below. So starting out with U.S. tours, the show went through. The first tour was in t- from 2006 to 2009, and it won three touring Broadway Awards in 2007, including Best New Musical. The second tour was from September 24, 2010 to June 26, 2011, and this tour featured a non-equity cast. Another non-equity tour was undertaken in 2013. A three-evening performance at the Hollywood Bowl was undertaken in 2015. This featured a cast that included Christian Slater, which is hilarious to me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Craig Robinson, Merle Dandridge, <laughs> Warwick Davis, Kevin Chamberlain, and Rick Holmes. Wow. Wow. I yeah. want to see that one. Um, <laughs> I do too. Yeah. 
And this script was updated to include a lot of LA-specific jokes, too. In the West End, Spamalot opened at the Palace Theater on September 30th, 2006, and closed on January 3rd, 2009. That's a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this production saw Tim Curry and Christopher Sieber actually re- reprising their roles from the Broadway production. Very cool. And then it had a West End revival and a UK tour, which was actually originally scheduled for 2009, but was postponed until spring of 2010, till like summer 2010. This production featured a first-time reworking of the song You Won't Succeed on Broadway, which was renamed to You Won't Succeed in Showbiz. It's changed from poking fun at the need for Jewish input on Broadway to mocking the crossover of celebrities and musicals and television competitions such as The X Factor, which is fair. Yeah, And right. actually notably pokes fun at reality TV celebrities, including Simon Cowell, Cheryl Cole, and Susan Boyle, who's actually shot by Sir Robin as she begins to sing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, what? why do they what? hate her so much? That's what I want to know. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, Susan Boyle. <laughs> right. And then the tour played a seven-week run in the summer of 2012 and actually moved to the Playhouse Theater on November 14, 2012 and ran until April 2014. Spamalot did preview in Las Vegas on March 8, 2007 and opened in March 31, 2007. And this show was actually condensed to run for 90 minutes without an intermission, which was actually common in Las Vegas for Broadway shows. Initially, the show contracted to run for up to 10 years, but its final performance was on July 18, 2008. Yeah, I didn't really find out, like, why. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Famalot has actually had a lot of international productions as well, which doesn't actually surprise me. So this Mm-mm. show went to Australia, Spain, Germany, Sweden, Mexico, Japan, South Korea, Norway, and Serbia. Yeah, and in Spain, it actually had its first translation where it was translated into Spanish. Cool. And I found, like, in Australia, it didn't actually do very well. It closed early. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the other uh, locations, it didn't do as well as America. Because this is a lot of American humor, I, mean, I yeah, imagine. That's... So, but it did uh, travel the world. Mm-hmm. Some extra info on the show. In regards to television, it had a special edition of the South Bank Show, which was a television documentary on the history of Spamalot. And this featured numerous segments with Eric Idle and John Duprez, who also helped write the, the music for the show. Uh, it has interviews with UK and US cast members and included scenes from the rehearsal of the West End show and was first broadcast on October 15th, 2006. So I'm curious to see if I can find that somewhere. In regards to film, in May 2018, so not that long ago, 20th Century Fox announced a film adaption was in the works with Idle writing the script. It was reportedly fast-tracked with casting and was to begin shooting in early 2019. They even had Benedict Cumberbatch as King Arthur, Peter Dinklage as his servant Patsy, (laughs) and Tiffany Haddish as the Lady of the Lake. But as of this recording, the film still has not come out, and it was cited that the acquisition of 21st Century Fox by Disney was a factor in the delay. Also, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is no longer in the option for King Arthur because of his obligations to play Doctor Strange in the sequel. Gotcha. Which, who knows when that's coming out, too. <laughs> yeah, everything's so up in the air now. It's like, when when will anything when will movies happen? Uh, Spamalot did see a lawsuit in 2013 where the Pythons lost a legal case to Mark Forstater, the producer of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, over royalties for Spamalot. He was initially paid one-fourteenth of the portion of the profits paid to the Pythons, 
but the court ruled he was a full partner and was to be paid the one-seventh extra portion paid to the pythons. So they basically had to owe, they owed him like back taxes and royalties. And it was like 800,000 pounds that that they owed to him. But they also did another, um, like a mini segment of the show, like uh, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail shows to kind of earn extra money for that. So interesting. (laughs) With that background out of the way, let's go ahead and hop into our show. Yeah. So fun fact. Uh, before the show actually starts, there's a recording that encourages members of the audience to, quote, let your cell phones and pagers ring willy-nilly, and comments that they should, quote, be aware that there are heavily armed knights on stage that may drag you on stage and impale you. Ooh, <laughs> fun. Fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. This was recorded by Eric Idle, of course. And in the cast recording that we're working off of, of course, this bit is not included there but there is a band director kind of warming up the orchestra before the overture starts. Yeah, so the so they didn't have like the full bit in there, but at least they had added something to the the cast recording, which is kind of fun. But I believe I do remember that recording as well when I go to go see it. It's funny. So now we can go into act 1, where we see a historian who narrates a brief overview of medieval England. But there is a miscommunication between the narrator and the actors, which causes the actors to sing a song about Finland. <laughs> and the song is the Fish Slapping Song, which actually is based on an old Monty Python skit. Actually, I did not know until now. It's a funny, stupid, pointless song. <laughs> Welcome to all the songs. <laughs> In the show. Yay. In the show. <laughs> yep. The historian returns, irritated, and tells the frolicking Finns that he was talking about England, not Finland. The scene changes to a dark and dreary village with penitent monks in hooded robes chanting Latin and hitting themselves in the head with books. Hmm. One of the funnier things from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Such a simple bit. So King Arthur is traveling the land with his trusty servant Patsy, who follows him around banging coconut shells together to make the sound of horses' hooves as Arthur, quote-unquote, rides before him. He is out seeking members to join him as the Knights of the Round Table in Camelot. Uh, He encounters two sentries who are more interested in debating the ability of two swallows being able to carry a coconut than listening to the king. One of the more famous bits in the show. We are introduced to Robin, a plague victim collector, and Lancelot, a large, handsome, and incredibly violent man, as Lancelot attempts to dispose of the sickly, not-dead Fred to Robin. Not-dead Fred is a plague victim who insists he is fine and well and not dead yet, so much so that he can sing and dance. He completes a dance number, but is hit over the head with a shovel by the impatient Lancelot. And the song is, he is not dead yet. Yet. Dead yet. (laughs) Robin and Lancelot decide to become Knights of the Round Table together. Lancelot for the fighting, and Robin for the singing and dancing. And also to keep an eye on Lancelot, who's a little bit murderous. I was going to say gay, but that works too. (laughs) Shh, we don't know that yet. (laughs) It's a secret. I know. (laughs) That's why I'm trying to hold back. So Arthur attempts to convince a peasant named Dennis Galahad that he is the king because the Lady of the Lake gave him Excalibur, which makes him worthy of ruling England. Of course, Dennis and his mother, Mrs. Galahad, are political radicals that deny any king unless he is elected by the people. To settle this issue, King Arthur has Dennis go to the Lady of the Lake and her Laker girls to turn him into (laughs) a knight. (laughs) So the song is Come With Me, but then it's followed by Laker girls cheer as they do a cheer. It's great. Yep. <laughs> and so they're cheering, and the Lady of the Lake turns Dennis into Sir Galahad, and together they sing a generic Broadway love song, which is that the song that goes like this, which is one of my favorites. 
listen, you've got Come With Me, which is this like slow crooner, and then you've got a cheer, and then you've got the song that goes like this, and it's just, it's <laughs> the a love time. Ballad. So it's a time, y'all. <laughs> are kind of meta and like aware of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, as, <laughs> this one is very funny. Just, what is the premise? It's just like, in every show, there's a song yes. that goes like this. And it lasts this long, and we do these notes, and blah, blah, yeah. blah, and it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> They're actually specifically making fun of Phantom of the Opera in this ah, uh, okay. in this musical number. Yeah. Good. Good. They are joined by Sir Robin, Sir Lancelot, Sir Bedivere, and the aptly named Sir not appearing in this show. <laughs> <laughs> and they make up the Knights of the Round Table in the song All for One. The five knights gather in Camelot, a resort not so subtly resembling Las Vegas's Camelot-inspired Excalibur Resort. Which is fantastic. Yes. Uh, complete with showgirls, oversized dice, and the Lady of the Lake headlining the castle. So this is Knights of the Round Table, and the song that goes like this, reprised. But of course we have reprises. <laughs> yeah. It's a Broadway show, after all. As they revel in their new knighthood, they are interrupted by God, who tells the troop to find the Holy Grail. Urged on by the Lady of the Lake, they set off into the song, Find Your Grail. Which is actually really deep to listen to. It is. If you don't think that it's about an actual grail. It's like, find your meaning. Right. Yeah. Well, they don't discover that until later, but, you know. Yeah. They travel throughout the land until they reach a castle, only to be viciously taunted by lewd French soldiers. (gasps) They try to retaliate by sending them a Trojan horse-esque wooden rabbit. However, um, they fail to get in the rabbit before delivering it, which kind of defeats the purpose. Defeated, the knights must run from the French as the French hurl barnyard animals, including cows, at them, and then also send can-can dan- dancers at them. And this song is Runaway, which is <laughs> ridiculous, and I love it. Yep. And this song has them escape into the wings of the stage, avoiding the Trojan rabbit being launched at them. I mean, I'd run away too. Yeah. Yeah. So not so metally, like, leading us into intermission. It's great. So we are here. We are there. We are at intermission. And actually, the Broadway cast recording has a, like, Uh 30-second intermission. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's dumb and stupid and great. But um, what's everyone's thoughts on uh, Act 1 there? Real dumb. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most random show soundtrack I've ever listened to, but it's also fantastic. I love it. I mean, I absolutely adore Monty Python humor. Uh I know it's not for everybody, but... I don't know. It it gets me. It like it's so stupid, but I can't help but laugh. Yeah, it's it's really good. What do you think, Kylie? I agree with Matt, and I enjoy that <laughs> about it. We are the same person. <laughs> One just has a beard. It's just Kylie, and it's not me putting the beard on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just Kylie actually. A Santa beard. I think the other thing I love about it is, like, beside the fact that it's got that humor that, you know, is obviously very classic of Monty Python, it also just has that medieval background, which, like, pretty much everyone knows, right? Like, if you've taken in any media ever, like, you know about just the general legends of Arthur and the Lady of the Lake and the Knights of the Round Table, but this takes it and, like, twists it in so many ways. I think it's just cool to see that that, like, classic trope totally played with here. Yeah. It's just like, oh, man, they're all just huge goofballs. How are they still alive? Right. It's it's also, like, the way Monty Python does stuff, 
they have to do like a lot of research on something in order to make fun of it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you are getting some kind of like factual or correct info. It's just being sent to you in a really dumb way. Very <laughs> <laughs> dumb way. It's so good. So, Kylie, I do have a lot of things for you to go over in your little factoids. I see. But feel free to take us away. Where do you want to go? To Camelot. Duh. Duh, everyone knows. Get your uh, coconut. Not the U.S. Yeah, not the U.S. right now. <laughs> not the world, actually. Yeah, let's just go to space. Yeah. True. <laughs> Alrighty. Here's a few facts about the show. On March 22nd, 2006, to mark the first anniversary of the original Broadway opening, the world's largest coconut orchestra, 1,789 people clapping together half coconut shells, performed in Schubert Alley outside the theater. The claim was officially recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. This record was broken by 5,877 people in Trafalgar Square at 7 p.m., on April 23rd, 2007, and it was led by the cast from the London production along with Jones and Gilliam, with the coconuts used in place of the whistles in Always Look at the Bright Side of Life. This formed part of the London St. George's Day celebrations that year and was followed by a screening of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) So just picture 5,877 people Clacking together some coconuts. That's a lot of coconuts. It's a lot of coconuts. How do you get that many coconuts? Don't ask questions. (laughs) (laughs) They were probably hoarding them for like years. Yeah. I mean, coconuts don't last forever. Well, you don't need... I mean, you just need the husks. Yeah, I know, but they they still get mushy at certain points. No one said they were real coconuts. They could be fake. That's true. Yeah. But I like to think they went the, the full all-out The way. realistic hired, way. You know, yeah, they hired two swallows to go collect <laughs> to carry them all. all the coconuts. <laughs> all right, Kylie. So, on the 10th of March 2007, Spamalot partnered with HP Sauce, the classic British brown sauce, which is now made in the Netherlands following a contentious decision to close its factory in Birmingham, England, to produce... 1,075 limited edition bottles featuring a unique Spamalot take on the classic HP design. The bottles were available exclusively via Selfridges, London, and came in a presentation box with a numbered certificate. 1,075 was chosen to celebrate the absurdly 1,075 years of the show running in London. Yes. Uh, So if you have one of these bottles, just like send it to us. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's worth a lot of money, but uh, just, just send it Don't to Don't look us. on eBay. <laughs> I wonder what these look like. I, I just need it for my collection, for reasons. I like packaging. Send me the packaging. Right. And what's that last one there? It was one of eight UK musicals commemorated on Royal Mail stamps issued in February 2011. So I also want some of those. Right, I was going to say, if you have some of those stamps, send those. Yeah, so uh, Matt found some of the, the pictures for it. I will put pictures of the bottles up on our website. It comes in like a really fancy box. Like if you bought like an expensive alcohol. Yeah, it looks like a whiskey. Oh. Yeah. Don't <laughs> chug like brown whiskey sauce. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, don't just chug it. Or do. Well, well, don't chug whiskey either. But, you know. Interesting. Yeah. So I'll post pictures of those and the stamps on our website. But wait, there's more. 
1782, a lady named Mrs. Fitzherbert died laughing at a performance of John Gay's The Beggar's Opera at the theater. Which I thought was very fitting. That's concerning. Yeah, very concerning, yes. Sucks for her. But <laughs> it was a good fact for our comedy show today. <laughs> was it a funny opera? Or I don't or know anything sad? about Because if it's sad... I'm guessing funny. I'd hope. And she had an issue. She had a big issue. <laughs> Alright, I think we can go ahead and uh, clip-clop our way into Act 2. Grab Onward. the coconuts. I don't have any coconuts, I wish I did. I know, me too. Mm. Just just make the noise with your mouth. No, that's not gonna make sense. <laughs> it's not the same. Nope. Close enough. So Sir Robin and his minstrels follow King Arthur and Patsy into a dark and very expensive forest, where they are separated. <laughs> King Arthur meets the terrifying, yet silly, knights who say me, who demand a shrubbery, or else they're not allowed to continue through the woods. King Arthur despairs about this, but Patsy cheers him up on the, in the song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, and they find a shrubbery shortly after. Yay! Woo! But this one actually is used in a lot of, like, uh, Broadway mixes. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so fun. Like, even taken out of context of the show, it's just fun. It's got fun whistling. It does. It does have fun whistling. I can't whistle that good, though. I can't whistle at all. (gasps) I can't. (laughs) Sir Robin wanders with his minstrels in the song Brave Sir Robin, where they definitely fluff him up past, uh, like, his capabilities, and it's hilarious, until he encounters the Black Knight who scares him off. King Arthur comes upon the scene and more or less defeats the Black Knight by cutting off his arms and legs and impaling his still-alive torso on a door before they go off to give the shrubbery to the knights. And seeing this on stage was very interesting, and I still to this day don't 100% know how they did it. (laughs) Okay. But I'm guessing they, like, put the guy behind a partition and, like, rip off his Velcro legs and arms and stuff. It's it's interesting. And then someone comes by and is like, arms for the poor. And so Mm -hmm. they pick up all the limbs and put them in a basket. (laughs) It was so stupid, and it's I still remember that to this day. (laughs) It's pretty dumb. It's so good. So the knights accept the shrubbery, but demand that King Arthur put on a musical and bring it to Broadway. You know, just a simple thing like that. So actually in in the UK, this became a West End musical, and on the tour, they must put on a Broadway musical. They say it must be Broadway style, but not a, quote, Andrew Lloyd Webber. (laughs) At the mere mention of his name, it causes everyone to cover their ears and scream in pain. (sighs) Oh, jeez. (laughs) <laughs> Must have saw cats I, in the future. I, I don't get it. It's just because he, he makes a lot of Broadway shows. Like pretty much every other show on Broadway. So. Basically every <laughs> show on Broadway. Ah, okay. Sage Lloyd Webber. At least adjacent. Okay. <laughs> so Robin insists that the task is impossible because you can't succeed on Broadway if you don't have any Jews. And this song is You Won't Succeed on Broadway. And he proves his point in a wild production number filled with Fiddler on the Roof parodies. King Arthur and Patsy promptly set off in search of Jews. Because the, they have to complete the Broadway show. And uh, as a little side note about this, in countries that don't have a tradition of Jews in the theater, the lyrics of You Won't Succeed on Broadway are sometimes changed to instead describe the high production standards and acting talent needed to stage a successful musical in that country. For example, in the South Korean version, Sir Robin sings about recent successful musicals that were staged in Seoul during the previous decade. Meanwhile, members of the ensemble appear on stage dressed as various characters from those musicals. Among these characters are a cat from Cats, Kaneki from Greece, 
Kim from Miss Saigon, The Phantom from Phantom of the Opera, and Velma Kelly from Chicago. As with the original version of the song, Sir Robin and the entire ensemble end the number with a song and dance routine. So I thought that was kind of neat how they uh, adapted it to f- to make sense in other cultures. Yeah, because yeah, it's definitely a song that d- I don't think translates very well. <laughs> so, no, it definitely doesn't. I'm glad they find ways to change it. Yeah. Because it's a funny song. It's a really good song, but <laughs> definitely is weird. <laughs> it's definitely one of those, like, you initially hear it and you're like, oh, that doesn't <laughs> sound that's, good. That's not okay. <laughs> but then it's just, it's kind of one of those, like, based in fact. And it's just like, based in fact. Oh. Mm-hmm. So while the Lady of the Lake laments her lack of stage time in the song, Whatever Happened to My Part. <laughs> which is a great which song. Which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, Sir Lancelot receives a letter from what he assumes to be a damsel in distress. So he comes to find out that his damsel is actually an effeminate young man named Prince Herbert. <laughs> <sighs> yes. And so this is the song. Yes. Where are you? Here are you. <laughs> Finds him. Uh, Got him. And so it turns out that Prince Herbert has an overbearing, music-hating father, the king of Swamp Castle, who's forcing him into an arranged marriage. And so he's asking Sir Lancelot to help him escape. The king of Swamp Castle cuts the rope that Prince Herbert is dangling from, which seems to kill him. Seems to. Lancelot is confused by this, but it turns out that his sidekick, Concord, rescued Prince Herbert at the last moment. <gasps> king asks how he was saved, to which Herbert happily replies with the song, but the king charges at his son with a spear, preparing to kill him. Ah. He just really, really hates music. You and know, his son. Some people, I guess. <laughs> Lancelot steps in to save him, but then gives a tearful, heartfelt speech about sensitivity to the king on Herbert's behalf. Because that's how you save people. The speeches. Yeah. And this moment actually outs Lancelot as a homosexual. <gasps> but the announcement is celebrated in a wild disco number. And I this love is, this song. His name is Lancelot, which, yes, is probably my favorite it's amazing it's definitely mine it's, <laughs> it's just so good it's so high energy yes. and just dumb yeah. <laughs> and lancelot has no idea what's happening <laughs> he just kind of rolls with it he's like yeah i guess i am <laughs> i love it it's just so much fun to sing to. yes <laughs> his name is lancelot <laughs> and in tight pants a lot <laughs> yeah i definitely uh listen to that one if nothing else listen to that one <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> King Arthur begins to give up hope of ever putting on a Broadway musical and laments that he is all alone, even though Patsy has been with him the whole time. And this song is I'm All Alone, which is great because King Arthur's just like, I'm all alone and, you know, it's all so by myself. Sad. And Patsy's like, you moron, I'm right here. <laughs> but, but, sir, 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 I'm right here. <laughs> it's, I get it's that, great. like, dual singing going on, yeah. too. Uh-huh. Yeah, basically King Arthur's singing over Patsy and is and ignores him entirely. <laughs> it's yeah, like Patsy tries to like comfort him and like right when they're about to have a moment he's just like and I'm so alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dramatic and I love it. I also love that it's like almost slightly fourth wall breaking because yeah. like he's clearly in a room full of people. Yes. This is a Broadway production. Yeah. And also <laughs> in this this number, uh, all of the other extra knights come out and sing with him mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's like i'm all alone and they're like apart from us <laughs> and he's like we all have to be alone together but alone <laughs> it's introverts it's so dumb yeah introverts yeah, true basically. so the lady of the lake appears and tells arthur that he and the knights have been in a broadway musical all along so he's not alone 
And actually, in some productions, she also points out Patsy's presence, to which Arthur claims that he sees Patsy as quote-unquote family, and thus doesn't always consider him a separate person. What? Huh. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know. Patsy also reveals that he is half-Jewish, but didn't want to say anything to Arthur because, quote, that's not really the sort of thing you say to a heavily armed Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) In medieval medieval times? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. The only thing left is for King Arthur to find the grail and marry someone, because that's how Broadway shows go. Everyone knows that. After picking up on some not-so-subtle hints, Arthur decides to marry the Lady of the Lake after he finds the grail. And the song is twice in every show, where they also (laughs) sing a love ballad, and it's hilarious and stupid. Yes, based on their previous one that is now twice. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Reunited with his knights, Arthur meets up with Tim the Enchanter, who warns them of the danger of a killer rabbit. (gasps) When it bites the head off of a knight, Arthur uses the holy hand grenade of Antioch against it. knocking it down a hill and revealing that the evil rabbit was actually a puppet controlled by a surprise puppeteer. (laughs) Jokes. (laughs) (laughs) A large block showing a combination of letters and numbers is also revealed. So the letters are actually based on a seat numbering system used by each theater, and they're changed from performance to performance to discourage audience members from intentionally booking any of the possible seats, which is the best way to do it. Yeah. And this seat is typically on the aisle in one of the first few rows nearest the orchestra. That would be really cool to be in one of those seats. Was it some kind of audience participation thing? Or did they just... I mean, the, the, it's not really. The audience doesn't know anything about it. Oh, okay. So after they ponder this clue, Arthur admits that they're stumped and asks God to give them a hand. A large hand. <laughs> up. <laughs> points to the audience and Arthur realizes that the letters and numbers refer to seat number in the audience. So the grail is found, with some sleight of hand, under the seat of the audience member in question, and they are rewarded with a small trophy and Polaroid photo <laughs> in the Holy Grail. That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's a great way to do that. I did, Yeah, I saw it, and, and like for the longest time I was like, oh, how didn't the audience member know that the grail was under their seat the whole time? But as an <laughs> adult, I'm like, no, you idiot, they put it there when they went down there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it it's, a, it's like a neat little thing, but... It seemed, to, to me when I watched it, it seemed a little unnecessary. Like, they didn't have to find the grail at all. Like, I don't know. Because they never found it in the movie either. Yeah, no, they just got arrested. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so the, the song The Holy Grail actually talks about how, like, the grail was inside you the whole time. And it talks about, you know, uh-huh. finding yourself. And so it's like they didn't actually need to find the physical grail. But, eh, it's an interesting gag, I guess. Yeah, it's for the joke. Yeah, it's definitely for the, the hand in the sky joke. King Arthur marries the Lady of the Lake, who reveals that her name is Guinevere, which, if you know Arthurian legend, that is King Arthur's wife. Waifu. Lancelot marries Herbert, Yay! who finally has a chance to sing, and Sir Robin decides to pursue a career in musical theater. Good luck. Yes. Herbert's father attempts to interrupt the finale and stop all the bloody singing, but is hit over the head with a shovel by Lancelot, calling back to the first scene where you see him. <laughs> Being all angry. And the this song is Act 2 Finale slash Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, Company Bow. And that ends the show. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Oh. For being so, like, random and spontaneous, this musical does wrap up well at the end, yeah. I think. So that's and, very good. Uh, actually, so... 
like all of the knights get married to the Laker girls because mm-hmm. everyone has to get married at the end of the Broadway show. Everyone knows that, right? <laughs> so it does tie up all the loose ends, quote like more yeah. or less. <laughs> it's just dumb. Yeah, dumb fun. It's dumb fun. If you don't like Monty Python, you probably won't like this. No, and if you like the movie. Like, you'll probably like the musical, but know that it's not the same. It stays relatively close, but it's not exact. Yeah, it's not exact. Which makes it weird to me that they're trying to make a movie out of it, which is like making a movie into a musical into a movie again. Listen, as long as we don't get CGI cat buttholes, I'm gonna be okay, (laughs) alright? We've already gotten that. Don't do that. Don't do that ever again. (laughs) No. This was the start of 2020. It started out in 2019, like December, I thought. It, 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 it cursed did, yeah. us. It did. We all saw the images, it, and um, it did cursed. curse twenty twenty. Yep. We've we've tracked it's it down. All, you guys. It's all been downhill from from that. <laughs> Hashtag cats cursed us. <laughs> so yeah. So what does everyone think about this ridiculous show? I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's cute. It's so good. Like it's not good, but it's so good. <laughs> I'm. Glad that it was as successful as it was. Oh my god, yeah. Because I think this very easily could have dropped into obscurity. Yeah. Like, you know, like the wrong joke made at the wrong time or like the wrong people, I don't know, watching it, producing, whatever. Like this could have tanked. Yeah. Because I feel like this type of musical doesn't, I mean, it doesn't stand up well, that type of humor. Because Mm -hmm. the rest of Broadway is that like serious, dramatic. Broadway. I don't know. there's, There's that formula and this makes fun of that. And so yeah. I'm I'm just glad that like absurd humor is able to translate and work in a stage production. Yeah. And who knows yeah. it could have like yeah. paved the way for other stuff like, you know, The Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but yes. it's won tons of awards and mm-hmm. like people talk about it and love it. So I'm always for that adding d- dumb humor to things. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> it really knocks down that like sophistication of Broadway factor. Yeah. And I love it. They let in the riffraff. Yeah, they definitely make fun of it in this show, like, very heavy-handedly, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before getting into doing all this stuff, I I definitely thought, like, plays and stuff had a a different, a lot different of an image. I think the image I had for plays and stuff is actually the image for, like, operas and stuff. Yeah. Because I worked at a movie theater, and it was just like, snooty old people that <laughs> came and saw all the operas. So it's that true. might have tainted my image. Mm-hmm. But no, the, the, I would love to have seen this with a crowd. Yes, it is so Especially fun. that original cast. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. Tim Come on. Curry? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> can can we just get a show where just Tim Curry plays every character? Can we just clone him? <laughs> Please? <laughs> have him play King Arthur, Lady of the Lake. <laughs> <laughs> just different wigs. Yeah. And actually, funny that you mentioned that, I I didn't really... It, we brought it up earlier with the casting, but uh, it's tradition for the characters to play multiple roles in the show, because that's what they did in the movie. And so that's why like some of the main cast will be seen in various other places through the show. I think that's a lot of fun <laughs> that they've kept that. Also keeps cast down. Yeah. yeah. It yeah, makes things more funny. hectic, though, in the background. Oh, I'm sure. Because you got so changes. many costume changes, but... Hilarious. Hmm. It seems like a lot of the extra characters they have to play are, like, a lot simpler costumes. Yeah. It's great. But no, it's it's just fun. It's just dumb fun. Sometimes the best kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
if this podcast says anything about it. <laughs> if any of my <laughs> musicals that I've covered. Yeah, that's true. Except, uh, except for Spider-Man. That wasn't fun. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't, we don't talk about Spider-Man. That was painful. <laughs> but we do. We need to. We need everybody to know how bad it was so that doesn't happen again. Bono, stay off Broadway. <laughs> you tried. You tried, buddy. But also, try. now I want... Now I want a modern day version of Spamalot where, like, maybe Spider-Man swings across the... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, line. making fun of it. Uh, <laughs> That'd be so good. A few other, like, I don't know, like, Shrek w- walks out at one point and then goes backstage, like... <laughs> All Matt's I want musicals. some modern day musical references in Spamalot, okay? I'll get I'll get to work on that for you, Amber. King Arthur just yells yes. out, Spudoinkle. Yeah, Spudoinkle <laughs> <Yes>. day. <laughs> Why are there baked potatoes everywhere? <laughs> That's the complimentary thing. A baked potato under every seat. Oh no, I'm gonna I'm just gonna make my own musical and it's just gonna be Matt's fever dream. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you play all the roles. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone out there uh, is interested in seeing slash listening to Matt's fever dream, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, if you wanna uh, produce and if you have this. any suggestions on how he can make it even better, absolutely please reach out to us. I'm sure he'll take suggestions. We will absolutely take suggestions. <laughs> Coming to a theater, not near any of you. <laughs> Coming from our basement. <laughs> On the dark web. On the, the dark web. Dark web. Okay, I think this wraps up this one. Anybody else have any more comments? No. <laughs> we've, we've said it all. Just listen to it, guys. <laughs> so thanks for listening to this episode of Save Me an ILC. We really appreciate all of the support. And we just hit 300 downloads. Woo! Yay! Woo! doesn't sound like much, but it is really awesome. It's super awesome. Like, I know some of you might think that we're joking about this, but we're real excited. <laughs> Seriously, you all mean the world to and us. yes, 299 of those downloads might be my mother, but we won't ever know that. <laughs> <laughs> to us, it's just data on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> so we really do appreciate the support, even if it is uh, in the low hundreds right now. We just, we just love it. We just like seeing that number climb, which is fantastic. We also have just switched over to Ko-Fi, which is K-O-F-I, for our support needs. Um, We're no longer on Patreon. So we're under our network umbrella, which is Ragtag Network. And so you can find us at ko-fi.com slash ragtag network. So this will go to support all the podcasts that Ragtag Network uh, hosts. So it's a little easier for you guys to support us and your other favorite shows all in one little happy, friendly platform because it's so much fun. Yay. Yeah, such a happy platform. And as always, you can reach out to us at savemeanisleseat at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at saveanisleseat on Twitter with any of your weird hashtags and gifts from the show. Do it. Just do it. Tweet me, guys. <laughs> Twitter. Also, please like, share, comment, review, you know, the gist of it all. Uh, do the things. Do the things. We appreciate you just yeeting this podcast at your family and friends. Just shout it at them. Just... Just do it, man. Smash it but in the face. <laughs> Bam. Yep. So we appreciate any and all support. And thank you, guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You're fired again. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs>